you can't transform a company by sitting in an office and barking out orders and expecting that the workforce will just comply. It doesn't happen that way. If I'm not out there shoulder to shoulder with employees, leading by example and showing them and teaching them and helping them, then it ultimately doesn't transform. Welcome to the Manufacturing Executive Podcast, where we explore the strategies and experiences that are driving mid-sized manufacturers forward. Here, you'll discover new insights from passionate manufacturing leaders who have compelling stories to share about their successes and struggles. And you'll learn from B2B sales and marketing experts about how to apply actionable business development strategies inside your business. Let's get into the show. Welcome to another episode of the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. I'm Joe Sullivan, your host and a co-founder of the industrial marketing agency, Gorilla76. Any business leader can talk a big game. We're retooling our business to meet the demands of a new era. We're investing in our people and building a culture of excellence. We're committed to innovation. Blah, blah, blah. All of this, frankly, is just lip service. That is, until you can prove it. And my guest today is leading an organization that's doing exactly that. From putting their leaders in the trenches next to those on the front lines, to letting the words they hear from their customers and their prospects physically impact the evolution of their facilities, to putting AI and smart factory initiatives in motion. This particular organization is actually walking the walk. And as its leader will tell you, the rewards have been plentiful on a number of fronts. So on that note, let me introduce him. Mark Witten started his career as a shop floor employee at Freightliner Heavy Trucks. He then had the opportunity to work with Cami Automotive, a joint venture between General Motors and Suzuki for a few years before joining Magna International in 2000. Over the next 15 years, Mark worked in a number of different roles across multiple Magna divisions and in different countries, including Canada, Mexico, and the US. In late 2015, Mark took an opportunity to run a small seating supplier in Cleveland before joining Martin Rhea International in 2016. There he ran their largest facility in Shelbyville, Kentucky, and became director of ops before joining Spartanburg Steel Products in early 2020. Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Joe. I appreciate it. Awesome. Well, Mark, I know you took the reins just a few years ago at Spartanburg Steel, a company that's been around since 1962. I also know you've made a lot of really positive headway already, consistently surpassing a lot of the goals you set out to achieve. So wondering if you could start things out by telling us a little bit about what, you know, what were some of those goals, the associated key metrics, and how has SSP performed? Great. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Great question. Thanks for having me again. Yeah. So Spartanburg has been around since 1962. The family that currently owns it, so we're privately held, has owned it since 1982. Great ownership, great company, you know, great leadership team here. And so when I joined, I had a mandate to, you know, to improve the results, to, to improve the culture, to really drive the top line and bottom line. And so we went about with the leadership team here back in early 2020, we, we started to deploy a strategy. And we really, for me, it was really important that we defined, you know, where we want to go. What we refer to as our vision statement or true north, you know, what we want to achieve, that's the goals. And then how we're going to do that, and that was SSP 2.0, or the strategy we deployed in order to achieve the goals and make sure that we stayed true to the to the to the vision statement, which is to become a world class company. And we don't want to be very specific and say you want to be a world class manufacturing company. We want to be world class in everything we do. So we're really focused on, and I use these examples like 
If we hire someone, we want to do it in a world-class way. We want to onboard people in a world-class way. We want to train people in a world-class way. We want to have world-class results. So we know today we're certainly not a world-class company, but we have a vision to be there. And, and what I've always found in my career and whenever I've dealt with successful people, they always have a vision or five-year plan, You know where they want to be, how they want to get there. And so I think it was really important for us to project ourselves into the future and say, we want to be world-class. And so therefore, our behavior has to be focused on being world-class and ask ourselves, you know, in every case, are we doing things that are, you know, truly a world-class company would do them or not? So that, that was one thing. To your question, we then had to determine what is it we're trying to achieve here? And really we're doing that in buckets of a year. So we said, okay, we got three things that we have to focus on in 2021. And that is revenue top line growth. So we set a goal to grow our revenue from what was 106 million to 200 million by the end of our fiscal year of 21, which ends October 31st, 2021. Our second goal was to, to have a profitability target. So in 2019 and 2020, we were not profitable. In 2021, we said we have to be profitable and we set a target. So we said we got to be, we have to have a net profit number of X and we have to have that by the October 31st, 2021. And then the last goal, and they're all really interconnected, but the last goal was quality improvement or customer performance in terms of quality results. So we said, we must improve our quality performance from X to Y by October 31st. And we had a specific number of customer complaints that we had to drive it down to. So, so that's really the, the goals that we set. And then below that is really the how. How are we going to do all this? And that's all SSP 2.0. Awesome. Can you dive into SSP 2.0 a little bit more? Like, tell, tell me a little more about what that means. Yeah, of course. I love talking about 2.0. You know, when I joined here, it was important for me to be respectful of the, the current leadership, the ownership, the employees. And I certainly don't want to walk in here and say, I know better and we're going to do this. And what, what you guys have done is not good enough. That's not true. I mean, this, this company's been a BMW supplier for many years, had great successes in the past. And I wanted to honor that. So we really, we said, you know what, SSP 1.0 is a foundation. It's what got us to where we are today. We've been successful for many years. We've done a lot of things in the community here. We've had employees that have bought houses and their children work here. And so, so this has been a good company for the community and its employees. At the same time, of course, we have to change. The world's changing. And really that was the 2.0 piece. So we honor the past but reflect and look forward to today and next you know and next years are really about developing a world class company being 2.0 and 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 that 2.0 really is broken into many buckets you know first and foremost is leadership when i talk about having the right people on the right seats of the bus it's about culture it's about employee engagement it's about manufacturing operating systems and quality systems and all of those things are are truly important and we had to we had to make sure we had all of those things as a foundation in order to drive 2.0 to ultimately achieve our goals. So a lot of effort around 2.0 and again, leading by example, many, many things. I mean, it, it's, I use these, this example more specifically, you know, one of the things that really is important in any transformation of any organization is that leadership must lead the transformation. Cultural changes, you know, culture is just, in my opinion, is just a result of people's behavior. And that behavior ultimately is driven by management's behavior. If management is leading by example, is on the shop floor, shoulder to shoulder with employees, helping, removing roadblocks, pushing the teams, but removing, you know, helping them to ultimately be successful, that's when you truly see transformation take hold. 
you can't transform a company by sitting in an office and barking out orders and expecting that the workforce will just comply. It doesn't happen that way. If I'm not out there shoulder to shoulder with employees, leading by example and showing them and teaching them and helping them, then it ultimately doesn't transform. And that's my experience. And I realized that. So it's super important in the 2.0 world and in, in a vision of a world-class company is that we go out leaders, so the executive leadership team, and we get out there and we clean, we organize, we help, we the daily meetings that I attend every 8 a.m. meeting every day in three different areas of two plants because it's important. Because it's super important that the employees understand we got to drive our business, we got to be consistent, and we got to lead by example. I've shared this before as well. I mean, in the parking lot behind me, you know, management went out and painted the curbs. We did that because it had to be done. But I wanted the people to, to, to understand that it, it doesn't matter what it is. We'll go paint curbs, we'll clean up, you know, dirt in the plant, we'll sweep floors. We'll do whatever we need to do to be successful. And I feel very strongly that if leaders lead in that fashion, then the people will follow because they they have they have a person that they can get behind and they believe in that and that's that's truly important. So that's really a lot of what 2.0 is about. Leading by example, really pushing the organization but helping, removing roadblocks and doing the right things for our people. How do people respond to that? I'm curious inside of Spartanburg when they see leadership kind of in the trenches and working hard to understand what goes on there, what people are experiencing in their their daily job on the front lines. You know that the initial reactions they they laugh at us. You know, they see us out there sweating and, you know, picking up garbage. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of joking around it, but we're consistent in doing it. We do it twice a week. We're always out there doing it. So, you know, it goes from being kind of a funny thing to a serious thing. And I've had many, many employees stop me or come over. Yeah, here's an interesting thing. I'm out there struggling, picking up something and it's heavy and I can't, you know, I can't move it. And I'll have an employee walk over from, you know, another well stage, grab the end of it and help me move it. They started appreciating a long time ago, but they, they started appreciating that we're just out there trying to help. You know, we're, we're doing whatever we have to do. So it really became, and I've had many of them stop me out there and say, hey, I really appreciate what you're doing here. You know, I really, nobody's ever done this before. We've never seen management out here cleaning the plant. We've never seen management do this. And, and again, that's, uh, it goes back to your introduction, Joe. I mean, I started on the shop floor and I got to experience terrible leadership. I've seen great leaders and horrible leaders. And I, they both taught me some great things, what not to do and what to do. And, you know, the worst thing in being a leader is trying to lead by thou shalt, you know, do what I say, not what I do. You cannot, you, you will, people are smart, you know, and they're not going to follow people like that. They'll only follow, in my opinion, they'll follow people who lead, but do what they say they're going to do every single time. And I've always stressed that to my management team. You know, if you say it and you got to do it, you can't back away from that because the minute you, the minute you do, you lose all credibility. It's that other thing. You could do a thousand great things and one thing wrong. And the only thing people ever remember is that one thing wrong you did. So, so you got to be perfect in what you do. So anyway, uh, to your question, a lot of great feedback from the employees. They get a kick out of it. Here's an interesting point. We're a unionized company. United Steelworkers have been unionized for many, many years before I got here. You know, and there's specific language in a contract that states that, you know, there's there's a bargaining committee work. So management can't perform or salaried employees cannot perform bargaining committee work. Yet the president of the union, and I, and I met with her very early on in my career, and I said, listen, I need your support. I know what the contract says, and I know how to interpret the fact that management can't go out there and do what will be considered bargaining committee work. But I need you to get behind me here and help me because I'm not I'm not taking people's work away. I'm trying to help them. And I really don't want to, I don't want to get in a situation where 
we are, you know, we, we get into a debate about whether management's doing bargaining committee work. We're not trying to, we're trying to lead by example. And she understood that and supported me through that. And I've never had an employee ever come to me and say, you know, you're doing work that belongs to a bargaining. They've never said that. They've always supported the action because they understand all we're trying to do is make us better. Mark, you told me a really interesting story a couple of weeks back about a major automotive manufacturer that SSP quoted years back and lost the bid. And then you mentioned that you went back and you spoke with their decision maker about the reasons SSP wasn't selected. Whether you use the name of the company or not doesn't matter so much to me as, as much as you telling that story to our audience and sort of what proceeded to play out since then. When I first joined here in March of 2020, right, right around that time, maybe a couple of weeks into the, to the role, we received feedback that we did not win a very, very large package from a truck. It's actually a, a heavy truck manufacturer. We were working on that probably six months before I got here. The team was working on all the quotes and felt very strongly when I arrived. They felt the team here felt strong that we would win the business. And when, a couple, three weeks into that, when I arrived, we received feedback that we didn't actually win the bid. And this is like a $40 million package. I mean, this was a significant amount of work. So I, you know, being the new guy, I, I said, listen, I'm going to reach out to the senior buyer and I'm just going to ask questions. I'm new. I, you know, no dog in this fight at this point. So I did, I, I called her, she took my call and I really appreciated that. And, and we had about a half hour conversation and I said, listen, I'm new here. I just want to understand if you can share it with me, you know, your logic around not sourcing Spartanburg, because what I was led to believe is that we would, we, in fact, were the leading, we were leading this bid and we were expecting to win it. She said we, she, had a, she had a little bit of an internal debate with her company. She had kind of a, a group of, of buyers that were pro or supporting SSP, and she had a group that were not. And she said, you know, I made a decision to come to Spartanburg with both groups and do a full-blown audit of your company. That's quality performance, delivery performance, the shop floor, you know, all the management systems. She said, you know, the audit didn't go very well at all. We came there. She said, frankly speaking, the, the, the shop didn't look very good. Quality performance was not where it needed to be. We didn't see that the proper quality management system in place. Your delivery performance wasn't very great. Very good, sorry. And I got it, by the way, because my first week in here, as I walked the floor, I thought to myself, man, I wouldn't source work here either. <laughs> you know, it wasn't to the standard that I would expect. So I wasn't surprised by her comments. It made sense to me and I understood it. She sent me the audit. I got the chance to go through the entire audit and everything in there is valid and it's true. And at the end of the day, you know, they made a decision based on that and, and, and that's fine. Fast forward to, I think it was about two months ago, she reached out and said that she was, they were in the neighborhood Volvo visiting another supplier and they wanted to stop by and, and meet with us. So they came over and I had never met her in person. I met her in person. We had a little chat and I said, listen, I'd like to walk you through Spartanburg Steel Products SSP 2.0 strategy and kind of bring you up to speed from when we spoke a year and a half ago to today, what we've been doing. And so she was great. She was you know, happy to do that. I presented exactly what, I, what you and I are speaking about, kind of you know, vision statement, goals, and SSP 2.0. But I went into great detail with her about what the strategy was and why and why are deploying. And you know, in, in the boardroom, you know, she was, oh, that sounds great. And, you know, looks really good, et cetera. So I said, let's go to the shop floor and go for a walk now. And we walked out and we got to the shop floor. We walked about 10 feet in and she stopped and said, this looks like a brand, like an entirely different shop. I don't remember it being like this. And I said, well, that's good news because it, it, I certainly hope it isn't like you remember. 
So we walked around, we spent some time and I, you know, basically pointed out the different management systems we put on the visual management systems we put on the floor. And we're using a system called Funnel Cloud to use PLC real-time data so we can see our performance OEE and downtime and, and the lighting. We put all brand new LED lighting in the plant. We've polished concrete floors. We've striped walkways. We've, you know, visual management everywhere. And her feedback was, you know, humbly to me, I get goosebumps because I, I mean, again, I'm so proud of the team here, but she was very excited and said, you know, this is, she said, I, I, I would have never expected to see this. I'm shocked and followed by the statement that I'm sure that there's some work we can do together. And, you know, and from there, they've sent us a bunch of RFQs. So it's super powerful. I understand why they didn't source us to work. It makes complete sense. The audit makes complete sense. We've worked very hard to fix our systems and implement, but also to change the environment of our shop. You know, I always consider myself a supplier, but a customer. Whenever I go anywhere, I'm always looking and watching and trying to understand culture and trying to understand how a company runs. And I can tell you, when you when you go to any shop floor, you can pretty soon, pretty early, you can tell how the company runs or how the performance or the results are. If it's dark and dingy and unsafe and smoky and all these kinds of things, I'm pretty sure that I, I'd hazard a guess that there's some quality issues and maybe safety issues and different things like that. And I mean, I know it's not a perfect science, but I've found in the past it typically works. So back to this lady and, and her visit, it was, it was great for her to come back. We think we can grow our business with them again. We learned a great lesson from that and we've improved since that time. And I think that, that uh, I'm, I'm glad she gave that feedback and I'm glad she was very open and got a chance to visit us again. Yeah, that's a really cool story. And Mark, there are a couple of things I sort of take away from this example. You know, one, talk to your customers and listen, like proactively go to them. And not only the ones where you lose, I think it's great that you went back and you talked to somebody where you lost the bid, but, you know, your existing customers too, do the voice of customer work, find out what from their, in their words, like what things, are we can we be doing better like understand their buying process understand what matters the most to them because i think a lot of companies just sort of make assumptions and all of a sudden something changes in their relationship with a partner or a vendor and they're like well what what happened i didn't see this coming and i think a lot of those things can be sort of gleaned from just having open conversations and asking customers what they want but i love that you went back and talked to you know, this particular woman, we lost a, a very large bid because I think the other thing that happens here is it shows that you as a new leader in the organization are interested in making changes. You're interested in figuring out what matters to the customers. And by making yourself vulnerable in that sense, all of a sudden the opportunity is back, right? Like had you not reached out to her and had that conversation, you know, you could probably assume she probably wouldn't have called you when she happened to be in the area to come back. So I think it's, it's pretty cool. A good lesson there. You're absolutely right. Great points you make. Well, I could go off on this one forever, but you need to be humble as a leader, you know, in any organization. The only way to learn is to listen, to ask questions, to be humble. You know, we often think too much. We know too much. We, we already know. We already understand. I don't think, you know, I, I would say that I challenge that statement. I've spent a great deal of my energy here focusing on learning from the customers we currently have and what's their optics, you know, the long-term partners and customers. And I realized a lot of what their expectations are, and, and we've been working on shoring those up. But to your point, I've always found that customers are willing to help if you're willing to listen. If you're arrogant and you, you, know, you don't want to listen and you don't respond to the customer, well, then they'll treat you that way. But if you're humble and you listen and you ask for help, and they'll, they'll be fully willing to help you. you know, BMW is here. I can speak about them. I mean, BMW Spartanburg Plant 10 is a huge plant here. It's a big, important company in terms of this community, and it's a customer of ours. And I can tell you, 
they're tough customer. They're very tough. Their expectations are very high, but they're also willing to help. You know, when we ask for help, when we say, listen, we got a problem. We just want to understand how to do this. They send people over here and, and they help us to understand what their expectations are. They spend the energy on their supply base to teach you. They're hard. Again, they're tough, but they're willing to help if you're willing to listen. And we've put a lot of energy into being humble and listening because we know we've got a lot of things we got to fix here. And so we can learn from great companies like BMW and Volvo and others that can help us and teach us. So great point you raise. Cool. Well, Mark, you made a, an interesting comment to me in a previous conversation that I, I wanted to bring back here. You said one of the first things you'll do when you, you're evaluating a potential vendor or partner for Spartanburg is you'll go into the bathroom at their facility and you'll immediately learn something about the culture just by how it looks in there. I thought that was really smart. Tell me more about that. Yeah. I go into the employee bathrooms. I don't go into the managed bathrooms, right? Because there's, there's a difference sometimes. It's been my experience I've been in many, many plants in many countries. And, and one thing reigns consistent that I've found. You can, you know, to use a, a loose term, you can put lipstick on a pig, so to speak. You can make something look good for five minutes or make a clean up your shop for a customer visit. But really what I look for is there a consistency in that, right? And oftentimes the employee bathroom or the employee change rooms tell a story on its own. If you walk into where the employees go to the bathroom and it's stall doors are ripped off and there's graffiti on the walls and it's filthy dirty. I will make the assumption that that organization doesn't take care of their employees too well, that there's some underlying cultural issues there. I'm pretty sure that that would be true. The opposite is quite true as well. You walk in employee bathrooms and they're clean, organized, you know, respectful, right? Respectful of the workforce. That says something to me too. It says, well, that there's some, you know, that they care, right? You know, people often say, you know, the most important asset in any company is people. But then you go to the bathrooms and the bathrooms are graffiti everywhere and the stall doors are ripped off and the working conditions are poor and lighting's poor and it's unsafe. I mean, it's that always that you can say anything, you can say it in a boardroom, you can make a presentation and sound great, but the real rubber hits the road when you walk out and to see the real conditions. And that's why I look at bathrooms because Again, it's one of those things I just feel like if you care about your employees, then you'll do the right thing for them. Dignity and respect is a cornerstone of leadership and dignity and respect is facilities for employees. I mean, you have a couple hundred employees that come to work every single day. You want to have a nice, clean facilities for them to use. I mean, that's, that to me says a lot. And I think it's super important and, and, I, and I don't discount it. I mean, and again, having visited facilities and seen very poor conditions. And the culture was exactly that. If, if the bathrooms were in terrible condition and I've seen it, stall doors ripped off and graffiti, there's a lot of problems underlying in that organization. And, and, and by the way, it all starts with leadership. It's a great microcosm of sort of what the organization actually practices, I think. I like the example. Is that, yeah, thank you. And I had one thing, Joe, you know, I'll go one step further and say, I use the employee bathrooms, by the way. So my office here in the front room front office, we have a management bathroom, but I go use the employee bathrooms. And I do that because A, I want to make sure that they are the way they need to be. And B, I'm not better than anybody else. It always blows my mind that, you know, leaders and companies, president, CEO have a parking, have the best parking spot. I'll never understand that. Why do I need to be 15 feet closer to the door so I can get in faster or get out faster? I don't need to have a, a parking spot and I don't need to use an executive bathroom. I mean, I can use employee bathrooms because again, if the employee bathroom is beneath me, it's not good enough for me, then it's not good enough for the people. And so I always would think that way, right? I mean, it, it doesn't matter. We, I go and eat in an employee cafeteria. I use the microwaves there. I mean, again, 
all of those things are little things, but they all mean something. And, and most in particular, it means, you know, we put the workforce up here and we say it's, a, it's, a, that, it's that reversed org chart. I'm at the bottom and the employees are at the top, right? That's, that's where they are because, again, they are the most important asset in the company and we management need to make them successful. That's our job. So all of that kind of combined is, is really around my, my beliefs and leadership. Yeah, it's servant leadership at play, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Let's stay on this topic of people here for a minute. I, I've heard you say that engaging people's hearts and minds is a central piece of SSP's strategy. What's this phrase mean to you? It's a lot of things. It's again, it's kind of tying back together what I've said so far. You, you, I believe that in order for people to give what I call discretionary effort, so that 110% is the extra 10 or the extra 20% coming to work every single day, you know, being positive and contributing when they're here. If they don't believe in the leadership that in the organization, you know, you and I are the same. If we work for someone we don't believe in, that doesn't lead by example, that treats us poorly, you know, typically you're not going to give that extra 10%. You're going you're gonna to do your job, but you're not going to go over and above your job. And what I'm trying to do every day is inspire people to, to really give discretionary effort because, you know, to, to go from good to great, you know, Colin's book, it, and it's, there's a lot of it in there. To go from good to great, the, the, the difference between good and great companies, a lot of things, but, but the people are the foundation of going from good to great. And if you have a, you know, a workforce of 400 people and 400 engaged people driving hard every day, coming to work every day, especially today, Joe, you know, with COVID and with the situation, you know, I mean, I hear it from leaders all the time in the community here about the, the turnover rate is tremendous. People don't want to come to work, et cetera. Yeah, we have to go over and above to keep our people plugged in. And that's that's really the, the point of gaining people's hearts and minds. I want people to want to come to work. And I always say this to the people. I said, listen, I'm not a fool. I understand if you won the lottery tomorrow, you won't be here. And I get all that. But we have to work. So if we have to work, then at least we can enjoy it while we're here. And we can want to come to work versus getting up every morning and, and having your stomach ache because you know you got to go back to that place. I don't want that for the people. And so really the effort is to, you know, to gain their hearts and minds, to keep them focused and make it fun, as fun as it can be, make it engaging. And it's a lot of other things like giving them opportunities to grow in the company, to earn more money, to do all that stuff, right? That they have a voice and that they're listened to. And that's really what it means. It's super important. And I ultimately believe that in any transformation, in any world-class company, people are engaged. And, and that's, you know, that's kind of the, the price of entry. If you want to be there, you've got to have an engaged workforce. And again, I've seen it before. I've seen disengaged workforces and they can, they can, a disengaged workforce can affect the results of a company very quickly because if the people are only eight in the gate, they come in, they give you the minimum, the minimum effort and they're gone. They don't work overtime. They don't work the week. You know, if you're in a situation where you need that and they don't want to do that to put yourselves in trouble real quick. So that's, that's really what it means. There's a lot to it, but it's, it's really all about what uh, gaining people's, their engagement. How does this focus on engaging people's hearts and minds change, if at all, as you look at Gen Zers or at least the younger generations entering the manufacturing workforce? Good question. And I do, I, there is a difference. I've been on a panel before where there's some debate about people are people and we should treat everybody the same. And I'll, I'll agree with that. While at the same time, I think we have to be smart enough as leaders and organizations to understand that there's expectations of our different generations change. And that is a true fact. I have a 22-year-old and 18-year-old, and I can tell you that their expectations of work are far different than what mine were, of what my father's were. 
And so I, I think it's wise of us to understand that, you know, they want more, they want different, they want to be able to communicate in different ways that are so it is important. And we are, we're on the cusp of that right now. You know, we're really developing our sustainability strategy. And that's something that, you know, that is all encompassing as we, you know, when I first heard of sustainability, go back a couple of years, and, you know, I just assumed at the time, well, that's, you know, waste management, energy consumption, renewable energy, but it is far more than that. I mean, it's diversity, inclusion, it's ethics and legal compliance, it's codes of conduct, it's your supplier's codes of conduct. It just goes on and on in, in corporate social responsibility. These are the things that I believe are super important for the Gen Zers, you know, and, and those young people because it matters to them. And so having that is for the right reasons, we need to do it for the right for all for all employees. But I believe those things really also are the people of the, you know, the newer generations definitely associate with that more so than my generation, your generation and our parents, for example. So I think it's super important and, and uh, also creative ways of attracting the younger people, because what we're finding is the young folks coming out of college, they're not interested in manufacturing. They're not interested in skilled trades. And that's, that's a problem that a number of organizations are realizing as we look forward. We, you know, for example, here, we, we've got a long tenured workforce, which is great. At the same time, we've got tool makers and maintenance technicians that are in their late 60s, early 70s. And over the next five years, I will lose 60% of the trades. So we, we're really focusing on developing some partnerships with the schools in the local areas, so the technical schools, so we can start to you know, engage those people, bringing them in so they can do co-ops, different things like that. That's really important so we can get them interested and plugged in because that, that's coming at us. And, and really, we're trying to drive that you know, interest of manufacturing, et cetera. I give BMW a, a plug. I mean, they, they've done an innovation day. They've done a bunch of different things. And they're really plugged in with the schools and technical because they see the same thing. I mean, they need the same thing we do. The trades, the manufacturing professionals, the engineers, the, the manufacturing engineers, the industrial engineers. So there's there's really something coming at us that we got to work on, and that's that's a big thing. So you know, back to your point. I mean, I think there's a lot of things as organizations we have to be aware of, and we got to approach things differently with the Gen Zers and the younger people because their their expectations are far different than our current workforce, et cetera. Yeah, a lot of truths in there. You know, I I just talked to so many manufacturing leaders between this podcast and the people I interview, like you, Mark between my clients who are, you know, all manufacturing people and you know it's what everybody's talking about is how are we going to get, you know, the the older generation leaving especially in the skilled trades and and the younger people having a perception of manufacturing as dark dirty dangerous working environments how are we going to change that first of all because that needs to change if where it is true and then secondly how are we going to engage them engage the youth help them understand that this is you know there there's growth opportunities here there's interesting technology here there's so much really cool stuff going on in manufacturing so any ways to engage with the community and the schools and to shed a positive light on manufacturing is kind of really what I'm after when I, you know, kind of doing my job here as a host of this podcast. So I like hearing you talk about what SSP is doing on that front. You know, on the cusp of that, I would say we're just getting going down that path. We, we recognize the need and we're starting and we're learning, you know, we're partnering with, with the South Carolina chamber and the school technical schools, BMWs helping. There's a lot to be learned out there. I'll go back to this innovation day, you know, I attended at BMW. I mean, they had a lot of, they had Clemson there. They had some other schools there. They had cobots, so these collaborative robots. 
I mean, they had AI, so artificial intelligence for training. I mean, it's really, really neat stuff that absolutely the Gen Zers would be plugged into. So I think that that need for that of really bringing manufacturing to a, to to your point, it's not something that coming out of school that you know the people today, the young the young people today see as interesting or or innovative, but it can be. And in fact, there's a lot of things there, but we just got to be able to promote that and share that. And as companies, we got to start engaging with those things because that's what's going to bring the next generation workforce to us. So I think it's, you know, it's a great point. And I'm sure you could, you could have a podcast with, with a conversation about this for, for a long time. It's, it's a, it's a real, real issue coming at us for sure. It is absolutely. Well, Mark, is there anything else that I didn't ask you about that you'd like to share with other manufacturing leaders out there before we wrap it up? You know, I just summarized that, you know, regardless of, and I have a lot of respect for a lot of the, the manufacturers around here. I learned a lot from many of them and having worked for Magna and Martin Rhea, I've learned a lot of things from great companies and I appreciate all that. At the end of the day, leaders have to lead and leading by example is, is not rocket science. It's hard. It's hard to do, but it is, to my opinion, it's the game changer. It's the difference between getting the results and not necessarily getting the results. You've got to be leading by example every day in everything we do. And, and ultimately, you've got a strategy. And, and I, you know, I give a lot of credit to this leadership team. We've got a great team of people here. I'm really humbled by them. And you know, they've engaged this 2.0. They're excited by it. It's interesting. I would add one thing, Joe. And all of the customer, and I've had quite a few customer visits here and two customers. What I continuously talk about is 2.0. And it's interesting how quickly the customers grab 2.0. Immediately they they start talking about that, you know, they really talk like we talk about it. You know, we we very quickly explain 1.0, we talk about 2.0, and then the conversation from them to us is well. You know, you guys got to do this in 2.0 and make sure that you capture this. And so it's really interesting. They've really gravitated to it. It's 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 a it's a clean you know, demarcation point where we say we're going from here to here. And, and I found it very exciting that employees really, they get a kick out of it, sorry, and empl- customers get a kick out of it and they're engaged to it and they ask about it. BMW comes here all the time. So where are we at with 2.0 guys? What's happening? You know, what's the strategy? So I'm really, really proud about that. So I just, again, summarize that, you know, with with all due respect, lead lead by example and, and have a strategy and execute your strategy, but always make sure that you do what you say you're going to do is, is, is a foundation. Well, congrats on what you've been able to accomplish so far, Mark. Sounds like you guys are going in a really great direction. I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, we are, and we'll, we'll keep going. Never, never. Uh, it's a journey, not not a destination. It is indeed. Mark, can you tell our audience how they can get in touch with you, and also where they, where they can learn more about Spartanburg Steel Products? Yeah. So we just uh, thank you. We just launched our new website, so it's SpartanburgSteelProducts.com. New website, brand new, so we're still evolving, but uh, you can take a look at there. I'm on LinkedIn and my email address is mwitten at ssprod.com. And I'm always willing to, to share and help if, uh, if someone needs it. Perfect. Well, Mark, thanks again for doing this today. Thanks, Joe. I appreciate your time. As for the rest of you, I hope to catch you on the next episode of The Manufacturing Executive. You've been listening to the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to learn more about industrial marketing and sales strategy, you'll find an ever-expanding collection of articles, videos, guides, and tools specifically for B2B manufacturers at gorilla76.com learn. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.